I'm Mark Holland. And I'm Omar Algabra. And this is In Camera. Well, it's uh, it's week three, uh, and we're sorting out our uh, audio issues. We may have to get new microphones. So if it sounds like I am talking to you from a box, I'm not. Uh, but we're going to try to work on our audio so it doesn't sound that way. Uh, but it's Thanksgiving coming up. Hopefully, everybody's going to be taking time uh, with their families and uh, having an opportunity um, to take uh, take a bit of a break. Uh, how about you, Omar? What are you doing this weekend? I'm going to try to fix these mics. <laughs> That's uh, your full-time uh, your full-time endeavor. It's like uh, uh, you know, if we ever thought we have a future uh, career in broadcasting, this experience has told me um, I have a long way to go. You do. Um, that's true. Uh, but but we also uh, you know don't exactly have a crack team of technical wizards uh, behind the scenes helping us here, what you, which is shocking. I know that's an insult to the producers who are standing <laughs> behind the glass that's and right. look staring at us. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, um, uh, we're glad to be back and uh, and always happy to uh, to get any feedback on how we can improve this experiment uh, or if um, there's something that you would like us to talk about. Uh, but this was um, uh, this was a week with a couple of incredibly sad events that kicked off uh, October, uh, first with the events in Las Vegas uh, and then the events in Edmonton. Um, yeah, uh, actually the event in Edmonton happened first. I woke up to it uh, uh, with a notice on my phone saying a, a, a suspected terrorist attack had occurred in Edmonton and my heart just dropped. Um, um, and then less than 24 hours later, the mass shooting occurred in Las Vegas, and uh, and and I just you know when you hear about these stories, when you hear about a person deliberately wanting to drive his truck into human beings, or about a human standing uh, behind a window and randomly shooting other innocent people down below, you just uh, you wonder what is happening. Yeah, and you know, of course, the truth is there's always been acts of violence and something that we've we've had to deal with throughout um, human history. But there seems to be something different about the time that we're living in when events like this happen, uh, with with the frequency that they are happening with, and the uh, it seems there's always uh, you know, like we saw in Las Vegas, a new a new record for the most violent or the largest number of people killed. And you know, walking down the street, it just occurs to you that this this period we're in is very volatile. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people feeling uh, not very safe right now, and uh, and of course, you know that's one of the things that we have to be principally concerned with as a government is how we protect our population, how we make sure that uh, we do keep people safe, uh, and recognizing that this isn't going to be the last time, unfortunately, that uh, that events are like this are going to be visited upon us. And you know, it's interesting um, that you and I are doing this podcast uh, because my job uh, uh, involves consular affairs which is Canadians abroad and your job involves public safety so we're both immersed in these two files and and you're absolutely right but we have also to strike a balance first and foremost we have to be unequivocal in condemnation of any type of uh, act of violence um, uh, terrorism mass shooting and we need to uh, seem and act in a very strong, clear manner 
to uh, to hold people who commit these crimes accountable. And I think we need to look at evidence uh, and how evidence informs uh, the best policy to make sure that we are in fact advancing public safety. Uh, you know, I, I think the one of the responses in the immediate aftermath of something as violent and as horrific as what we saw in uh, in Las Vegas or here in Canada, uh, you know, is a very emotional response. How could you not? Uh, but I think it's incredibly important to look at where uh, and how we can uh, avoid uh, such occurrences happening. In, uh, in, uh, in, in Canada or, or abroad, there's always lessons um, to be taken away and to, to look at them dispassionately uh, and to look at them on a basis of evidence. I, I totally agree. And, and, uh, and, and, and the other thing that I, uh, that I want to say is that part of this balancing act, also not to, um, not to play into the fear-mongering that could happen, a natural reaction of people being afraid. Um, is that we need to reassure people as well that we're doing everything we can and that we should not let criminals, terrorists, or otherwise uh, dissuade us from going about our lives, to live um, as we always have, to trust each other, to, to be vigilant, but to continue to uh, embrace our freedoms, to continue to protect our civil rights. So, uh, like you said, we need to follow the evidence. Uh, we need to be um, um, we need to let the police do their work and we need to support our police enforcement agencies in doing their work. And the reality is Canada is an incredibly safe country. Uh, that there's that people should feel very safe in Canada and feel very good about the incredible men and women that serve us every day in so many different aspects of law enforcement to keep our country safe. Uh, and uh, and that you know we can't allow these events to uh, to change our behavior, as I say, because uh, the very point of these terror acts is to disrupt our democracy, is for people to not feel safe. And when we look at what went down in Alberta, maybe we can do that first. Uh, this was an individual um, who was a refugee, uh, that is true, uh, somebody who came in 2012 uh, and uh, achieved refugee status and has been here uh, for, uh, for some period of time. And it's deeply unfortunate that it was a refugee uh, that committed these acts, but I think we should point out that that's highly unusual, that the reality is refugees are less likely to commit crimes, uh, they're more likely to, uh, to, pay, uh, to pay taxes, uh, they're more likely to hire other Canadians. Uh, in general, refugees uh, tend to be much better citizens than those of us who are born here. So this is an anomaly. Uh, it's very unfortunate, obviously. It's very tragic what's happened, the, the allegations uh, that took place, but, um, but this is an outlier. I have a question for you, Mark. Every time um, such attacks occur, whether the one that happened in Edmonton or the one that happened in Las Vegas, I always watch a debate take place on social media and sometimes in mainstream media is which one is a terrorist attack and which one is not a terrorist attack. There's always uh, uh, suspicion whether uh, uh, this label is colorblind or is it actually colored by the, the perpetrator's ethnicity. So let's, let's have this conversation. What do you think uh, constitutes a terrorist attack? Well, you know, first of all, um, any event that is um, that is done in the name of an ideology uh, or a particular belief system uh, that try to disrupt uh, a government or a society uh, for the advantage of whatever their position is would be an act of terror. Um, what we saw in Las Vegas, we don't know if it was an act of terror. For sure, it was terrorizing, and that's one of the things that we need to, to be clear on. There's no doubt, you know, a 
concert. I, you know, I love going to see live music. And when you get lost in that music, uh, the last thing you're worried about is your safety. You're just enjoying that experience. And for these individuals to have had, uh, and I don't know if you saw the video, Omar. I, I mean, it's just no. it's so terrible to watch. Uh, you know, because at first, the, the, the rat-a-tat-tat of that machine gun, you know, people are thinking it's fireworks. People are thinking they it's They thought it was else. part of the performance. They had no idea what it was. And so there's no doubt that that is a profoundly terrorizing experience and would have traumatized anybody who was there. Uh, and, of course, the families uh, that have been so devastated by this. But we have no idea the motivation. Uh, you know, was this an individual with a very serious mental health issue that had a break uh, that was doing this uh, without a particular reason or cause just because they were in a deep depression? Uh, was this an individual that did have an agenda? Hearing from uh, his brother, it seems that that there, there, uh, there wasn't a particularly strong affiliation with an ideology. Uh, it seemed to be a shot out of the blue. So I think we have to uh, be careful about labeling everything terrorism when terrorism has a particular connotation and requires a particular response. I think you're absolutely right. I think we have to be we have to be careful. Uh, labels matter, um, and uh, not every um, violent act by uh, a Muslim should be, uh, be automatically labeled as as uh, terrorism because there are Muslims. Uh, Muslims are not immune from mental illness or uh, or some devious motivation. Um, um, if the motivation is to commit an act of terror, is to terrorize people for political ideology, then that should be called an act of terror, whether the perpetrator was a Muslim or non-Muslim. Yeah, I mean, it should be totally blind to what, to what religion or what ideology. I mean, a perfect case in point is the uh, the individual who walked into a mosque in Quebec City in Saint Foy. That was very clearly an act of terror. Uh, that individual uh, was making a political point. That person had a political perspective. He targeted and, a group because of their uh, faith. Right. So that is absolutely an act of terror. Uh, and just as the the, the 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 terrible incident that occurred in Edmonton was uh, appears to be uh, an act of terror. It seems to be ideologically motivated. So. Um, so the question is, uh, you know, what are we doing? Because I think one of the things that people see, uh, particularly around uh, the terrorism and the events that occurred um, just the past number of days in Edmonton, is, you know, what are we doing? And I think the response that we've tried to have all the way through this is to balance two things simultaneously, neither being uh, at the cost of the other, because I think we can do both at the same time. One, to provide protection and security to the Canadian public um, through ensuring that our law enforcement agencies and our intelligence and security, uh, intel our security intelligence framework is robust, has the tools that it needs, well-funded, and on the other hand, ensure that civil liberties are protected um, so that we do not see the type of rights that these terrorists are trying to take away from us eroded or taken away in such a way that, that, that really undermines our democracy. Uh, and so when you see Bill C-59, uh, which has been introduced, uh, you know, that really is the heart of what's trying to be achieved, to give oversight to ensure that we, yes, have the powers for police to be able to exercise, but that there's the uh, oversight mechanisms to make sure those powers are used appropriately. Look, our laws have evolved over hundreds of years, and we've learned many mistakes along these years uh, that unless we have oversight, unless we have checks and balances, we've had innocent people who were victimized uh, by uh, what was seen at that time a rule of law. So it is really important to, to have protection 
and, and mechanisms that oversee these laws. But it's also important to ensure uh, that our law enforcement agencies have the reasonable tools they need to do their jobs. Uh, we don't want to uh, be in a position where a law enforcement agent or an agency is aware of a potential act of a criminal nature or terrorist nature, but unable to do something about it. So we have to be careful, but we and we have to act. But at the same time, we should not shy away from holding ourselves accountable, holding our law enforcement agencies accountable, and, and making sure that we have a self-correcting mechanism. And this is one thing that I'm very proud of our party, of our government of doing. Uh, obviously, no party or government is above criticism. Obviously, no, there's no such thing as perfection. But I feel, I know, we are aiming for reaching, for finding that balance. And I'm very proud of, uh, like you said, Bill C-59, that introduced for the first time ever in our country a large overarching body that oversees our law enforcement agencies and, and, their, and, their, uh, uh, and their behavior. Well, and, and when we look at Justice Jacobucci and Justice O'Connor, who came out with reports about Canadians' uh, rights that were uh, terribly uh, trampled upon, uh, where innocent individuals uh, were caught up through no fault of their own uh, in very, very tragic circumstances as a result of uh, bad decisions that were made uh, in uh, by intelligence and by our CMP, um, it's so important that that oversight be in place and that it be able to look into every single corner. And one of the problems before is that we have so many agencies that are involved in security and intelligence. Many of them had no oversight whatsoever. Um, and so the, the structure that they were operating in didn't have that safeguard. And then the bigger problem was there was no way to be able to look through all of the different departments and follow the bouncing ball. Because oftentimes when you have uh, you know somebody uh, who's being investigated or when uh, the security and intelligence is operating with an active, um, uh, an active mission, that there is many different... Uh, agencies that are involved in that. And so if the secure, if the oversight is only in one of them, then you can't know what's happening with all of them. Uh, and of course, one of the things that was also added was a committee of parliamentarians, where there is uh, parliamentarians who are sitting in the opposition who are going to be able to look into every single corner uh, of our security and intelligence operations to ensure that it's being operated uh, in accordance with the directives from government. That's true. And that's another important aspect of, uh, uh, of the changes that our government has introduced introduced for the first time ever once again in our in our country's history we have a parliamentary committee um, people um, who were elected on behalf of Canadians that have the responsibility and the ability to investigate to ask questions to oversee um, uh, our uh, public policy uh, our public safety policies and and to, uh, to act on behalf of Canadians so this is another added tool uh, that uh, the previous government refused to enact and I'm very proud to see it happen I'm looking forward to seeing it take shape and take place um, but these are steps that are important that are necessary um, and this debate is always needed it's always healthy I welcome people from either side of the debate who are saying we're not doing enough to protect civil rights or we're not doing enough to give police agencies tools uh, those voices are needed and uh, and and that debate is welcome 
And in fact, if we're not hearing a push from both sides, we're probably getting it wrong, right? I mean, I think because it is a very uh, difficult thing to ensure you're doing at the same time. I, I look at the ministerial directive that was just given on torture right. as a great example of that balance where, look, torture is abhorrent. Uh, Canada does not want uh, any information that comes from torture. Um, but the only exception that we make to that is if the information that's in our hands represents an immediate risk uh, to bodily harm or death to, uh, uh, to Canadians. And in that instance, clearly, I think an, an exception should be made. But otherwise, uh, there, it's an absolute prohibition. Now, there are some people who are criticizing it because they say that there's, uh, they, they would like uh, you know, us to use uh, information that's obtained by torture. And there's others that saying they want an absolute prohibition, even if that information was going to save a Canadian life. Look, the world is a messy place. Um, it is very complicated, and we just started this uh, podcast talking about how the world is, uh, is changing. Um, and we cannot pretend or assume that uh, we live um, in, a, in a utopia. Uh, we need to be very um, a cognizant of the threats, uh, but at the same time, implement tools and corrective measures uh, that catches us when we as a government or as a law enforcement agencies do mistakes. So, uh, you know, that balance is, is not easy to strike, but we cannot assume simple answers to these complicated questions. No, nor can we afford to, to make cheap partisan points in one direction or another. It's national security is one area that has to be post-partisan. And I, and I think, you know, I get to, say, to see it every day, uh, just how incredible the people are who, uh, who work to protect our country every day, be it the RCMP, be it CSIS, CBSA, or immigration. Uh, you know, they do just an outstanding job on our behalf to keep our nation safe and uh, to, to to them and, and of course to the other levels of government, the police, um, the local officials, uh, the firefighters, uh, who are also uh, just incredible. Uh, we're so blessed and lucky to have them defending us. Indeed, and uh, and and you know they look up to us too as political leaders to uh, set the tone, uh, to provide them with guidance, to provide them with uh, with a legal framework, and that's our job. And uh, um, you know I um, like you said, I hope that parliamentarians rise above cheap partisanship. Uh, that doesn't mean there's no room for a vigorous debate and that, that doesn't mean there is no room for disagreement. Uh, but to assume that one party or one member of parliament has less interest in the safety of our public is, is ridiculous. Uh, we just have different ways to go about it, and, uh, and that debate is healthy, it's constructive, and it's useful, and I will welcome it uh, throughout our mandate and look forward to people's feedback, and not only just members of parliament, but also you, the listeners, and our constituents. Absolutely. Very well said. And, uh, you know, as we take away lessons from uh, from this and other events and look with all we can to uh, to ensure that uh, we do everything we can to stop violence or people being hurt again, um, our hearts go out to those that uh, that have been victims of both of these events. Uh, a very, very difficult situation and, uh, and our thoughts and prayers are with them. Indeed. Indeed. Um, with that, um, I guess I want to tell our listeners, all two of them, um, that uh, next week is uh, a constituency week because of Thanksgiving. Um, so we will not be in Ottawa and uh, we will not be recording um, a podcast, but we will be coming back the week after. In the meantime, I hope you uh, uh, take a moment to send us an email and tell us uh, your share with us your thoughts on what we've been saying uh, and perhaps topics you'd like us to cover. We uh, would love to hear from you. 
Absolutely. I hope everybody has a wonderful Thanksgiving and, uh, and has a productive week thereafter. And we'll be back with uh, in camera in two weeks' time. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.